This episode of To Your Good Health Radio is being brought to you by Cardio Miracle, the ultimate nitric oxide booster with over 50 whole food, heart-healthy, bioavailable nutrients. A happy, healthy, and successful person is someone that can take the bricks that are thrown at him and use them to build a strong foundation. No one knows that better than John Tesh. In his new book, Relentless, he shares how he used obstacles, including a deadly disease, to shape his remarkable life. All of us, we're going to endure tragedies and heartache. You know, that's called life, but it's how we handle them that defines us. If you want to know how you can unleash a life of purpose, grit, and faith, don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman. Changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest began his multifaceted, ever-evolving career as an investigative journalist for the CBS TV network. He then spent 10 years as an anchor for Entertainment Tonight and broadcast host and music composer for the Barcelona and Atlanta Olympic Games. He shifted gears and then decided to follow his true passion, music, and he went on to sell over 8 million records and he's won six music Emmys, two Grammy nominations, and has earned four gold records. His critically acclaimed Live at Red Rocks concert helped raise millions of dollars for public television. In addition, he co-hosts with his wife, Connie the syndicated radio show Intelligence for Your Life, currently heard on 350 channels, reaching 14 million people each week. His new book is called Relentless, Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith. Welcome to the show, John Tesh. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, it's so great to have you joining us. Now, you are truly the definition of multitasking. You've, you've had success in so many different fields, but you've also had your share of trials and tribulations. Share with us what inspired you to write Relentless. I, uh, mo- most of the, the tribulations have been me shooting myself in my own foot when I went back to, <laughs> back to look at it. Um, I, I, was, I was diagnosed in 2015. In fact, the re- reason we couldn't do your show uh, in 2017 was because I was still going through chemo. But I was diagnosed with a very rare form of prostate cancer that didn't make any PSA, didn't make any blood markers. And uh, how I got on the other side of that included some trips to uh, you know, high-level uh, medical institutions and some amazing surgeons and oncologists. But, uh, but ultimately, uh, the, the relentless cancer uh, ended up uh, coming back. And so the story of how I got on the other side of that was something that interested HarperCollins, the publishers. Right. And they said, this is a, people need to hear this story, John, because they'd heard me talk about it. I was pretty quiet about it uh, when, when I was going through it. And they said, we really would love for you to tell your story. Are there any other stories in your life that you think might be interesting? And I said, well, let me make an outline. <laughs> and when I got, to, when I got past the first, uh, the, 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 the first story, which was me being thrown out of college at 19 and a half years old and being homeless for six months, and, and then three years later, anchoring the news at CBS television in New York City, they were like, yeah, you should tell that story. And <laughs> you know how, you know what, you've, read, you've, 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 yes. you've written books. You know, when you go back over your life and you start connecting the dots, you're like, wow. How did that happen? And and because we don't really think about that when we're living out, you're living your life and you're just sort of moving on. But if you don't journal, and I wasn't journaling, you know, you don't really have a you don't really have a perspective for what you've been through. And so a lot of these stories are in the book Relentless, and they're it really is you know sort of damn the torpedoes full speed ahead because there were some 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 dark times in my life. 
Yeah. Now, in your book, you share that after your doctor informed you that you had prostate cancer, he gave you 18 months to live and told you those dreaded words, get your affairs in order. How did you mentally pick yourself back up after being told that kind of devastating news? You know, I, I use the metaphor, the analogy in the, in the book of, uh, of playing lacrosse. And there's a thing called uh, the man ball drill, where uh, basically what happens is you, you get it, it, during practice, you get hit by two people, you get blindsided by two guys right. while you're trying to scoop up a ball. And, uh, and I, I ended up with a concussion a couple of times while I don't even think they do that drill anymore <laughs> back in the seventies. <laughs> and, uh, that's what it felt like. There was, I remember hearing a high pitched, uh, um, tone in my ears and, and everything was sort of the doctor's words were all drenched in reaper because I didn't have any, I, I didn't have like a pain in my pelvis or anything or any problem urinating or any of that, you know, which are usually signs of something going on. Um, but my, uh, my, my GP, a guy named Dr. Steve Galen, he ended up finding it, uh, cause my PSA was so low, it was like a 0.4 for so many years. Mm-hmm. And he ended up finding it with the, with the, the gloved hand exam. And, uh, and it was just, you sort of came out of nowhere. Right. And then we needed to have a doctor say to me and my wife, Connie, get your affairs in, in, in order. We, we, first of all, we were just flattened. And the next thing that happened was we just started doing as much research as possible. Yeah, and you bring up a good point because, you know, people rely on the PSA and had you relied on that and not had that digital exam, it may not, we may not be talking right now. No, we would not be talking right now. In fact, Galen is one of those guys who is just, because what happens, what's happening with some of the, uh, some of these uh, hospital organizations, some of the general practitioners, uh, because I have friends, you know, who, who will tell me this is that, you know, the doctor takes the PSA, goes, your PSA is fine. I don't think we need to do that. It's uncomfortable. I don't think we need right. to do the digital rectal exam. Um, and so and it's uncomfortable for, I guess, both the doctor and certainly the, you know, the patient, it's not horrible, right? But it's not like, it's not a bonding experience, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, a lot of people forego that. Uh, and then, and then when you, because, because my, uh, my prostate cancer, it was rare, but not on, unco- not completely uncommon because it didn't make any PSA markers. My PSA was 0.4 for about five years, but then all of a sudden he felt, he, he felt, uh, you know, a difference in the consistency, which is really an art form, right? You, you, yeah. you uh, they, to, to, to really, you know, feel a difference like that and feeling a difference ended up, you know, a trip to the sonogram and then a, uh, a biopsy, which is great fun. And, oh, yeah. um, and then, and then within three months I was at Johns Hopkins with Dr. Ted Schaefer and he was doing a radical prostatectomy and, and I had, I had what's known as Gleason nine tumors and, and you know this, but most people don't know that, 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 that you get a grade for your tumor from one to 10. And I, I, I had, I had poorly differentiated cells, meaning they couldn't tell the cancer cells from the real cells. And so they gave me nines on three of my, my tumors and, and, you know, 10 years ago, well, maybe a little longer, but they weren't even doing surgery on anything that was that serious. So Schaefer was, was taking a chance, you know, as, 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 as I was, and it's, the surgery was, was a success. Before we continue, I want to tell you about an amazing product called Cardio Miracle. The number one cause of death in America is cardiovascular disease. On average, somebody dies of a heart attack or stroke every 36 seconds. The good news is you don't have to be a statistic. Young, old, and in between, we all need more nitric oxide in our bodies. It's essential for our overall health because it helps blood, nutrients, and oxygen travel throughout the body. 
Research shows a lack of nitric oxide may be associated with high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, and even erectile dysfunction. CardioMiracle's ultimate nitric oxide advanced delivery system reaches a cellular level, so it starts to work within seconds. You also get over 50 whole food nutrients in every delicious scoop. I take CardioMiracle every day, not just for my heart, but my entire body, and you should too. It's backed by science and a 60-day no-risk money-back guarantee. If you want to improve your heart health, increase your energy, mental clarity, and boost your immune system, order Cardio Miracle today. CardioMiracle.com and use promo code CardioNow for 20% off. CardioMiracle.com, promo code CardioNow. That's great. Now, I just finished reading your book. Highly recommend everybody listening. Get a copy. It's really great. And I love how you freely talk about your faith. And I know in each chapter of my book, Food Sanity, I talk about God's design. And my agent and editor told me, hey, you better keep things politically correct and remove the word God. And I refused to do that. I left God in my book. And in your book, you talk a lot about God and how the Holy Spirit kind of guided you through tough times. When did you finally decide to let go and let God take control of the steering wheel? Yeah, boy, boy, what a great question. Um, I, you know, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Methodist church. And when I got to, to college, I did what a lot of college students do. I just sort of drifted out and, and went my own way. Certainly in the 60s, that was the way. I mean, this was you know, in the Woodstock era. Right. Um, I, graduated, I, I graduated high school in 70. And uh, I, I, I really didn't understand what the Holy Spirit was until many years after I had gotten out of that tent being homeless and and great things had happened to me and I had overcome many obstacles and just things started, um, just things would open up in my path that they had, they had no reason to open up, you know, and people use, a lot of people in the secular world use that, use the term, well, you were lucky, you were at the right place at the right time. Uh, it, well, first of all, I was working really hard on, 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 on my craft, but the second thing is when you, when you go back and you look at it, you realize that knowing that, you know, that scriptures confirm that the Holy Spirit brings things to your remembrance and will show you things to come. I was being led, you know, and I didn't realize that until I was, I, I was writing this book. Uh, and uh, when I ended up with, with cancer, of course, the first thing I started to think of was that God did that to me. And then, it, you know, with, with great training, it was revealed that no, 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 no. God, God want, not only does God want you to put the right food in your body, but God also wants you to be, to be well. Yeah, that's so amazing. I want to read a sentence from your book that really resonated with me. Let me read this. It says, I had the headspace of a cancer patient. I spoke like a cancer patient. I even referred to the disease as my cancer. And what you did is you shifted things by exercising authority over the thoughts that came into your head. And I think this really applies to so many things in life, not just our health, but those people that maybe they want to be promoted to a manager. Well, stop thinking and speaking like an employee. If you're lonely and you want to have more friends, stop thinking and speaking like an introvert. Tell us what created this pivotal shift in your life. Boy, it's fun talking about this because, uh, you know, I've, and, and in promoting the, the relentless book, I, you know, I ended up on the today show and a bunch of other, a bunch of other secular outlets. And, and, um, you know, it's, you get, you can, you can talk about it, but you don't really ever get any follow-up questions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I got cancer the, the same year in my life, 63 years old, that my dad got cancer almost to, the, almost to the month when he was diagnosed with cancer and he died. And so when I looked back at that, I realized that I had actually manifested that cancer by not just worrying about it, but talking about it. And this is your point. 
is that if you, you can speak your future, I learned this the hard way, but you can speak your future into existence, meaning you can speak death over yourself. And Proverbs 18.21 is, is a scripture I share with people a lot because it's the easiest one to remember, and it's basically death and life are in the power of the tongue. And what I was doing was, as I started to approach, even in my 40s, well, my dad died at 63, so cancer is in my family. Okay, there you go. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and then when I ended up getting cancer, I, I took ownership of it, and that's in the book, right? You know, talking about my cancer, my treatment, and I even started making plans for my demise where we were, shop- we were actually shopping for, for funeral plots. Um, I, was, I was planning on somebody else replacing me on the radio show, uh, you know, checking out my insurance, I mean, everything. And, and, and a thought can come, in your, can come into your head. It's, it's, well, how many millions of thoughts do we have every day, right? But when you, when you act on that by speaking, that, speaking black or speaking, um, literally speaking death over yourself, uh, eventually you're, not only does your subconscious hear that and, and confirm it, but also at the subatomic level, and I know you've studied this as well, at, at, Dr. Caroline Leaf has found that at the subatomic level, your body reacts to that um, in the quantum field. And, and so if you're, if you're speaking faith-filled words and you have faith for, for your demise, it's a good chance that it's eventually going to happen sooner than it should. We can do the same thing with health. We can say, we're going to be healthy in six months a year. I'm going to beat this. But you're so right. It's like what you speak, you believe it, you speak it, you can achieve it. So I think this, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, well, and one of the things that I want to, I want to be clear on, too, is, is that um, you know, there, are, there are people who have memorized Mark 11.23 or Proverbs 18.21 or, or Isaiah, 50, uh, Isaiah 53, you know, by his stripes you are healed. And they just feel like there's, you know, they can do anything to their, to their body or, or, or they shouldn't get any treatment. But um, I, I, I had faith, I had my faith in God when I got this uh, diagnosis. But uh, if I hadn't had faith in the doctors and Dr. Ted Schaefer, Dr. Christopher Logothetis, mm-hmm. Dr. Uh, Brian Chapin at MD Anderson and, and Johns Hopkins, I would have died, you know. But, but as, as my, for five years, as my treatment and that journey uh, uh, persisted, uh, and continued, I, I was learning along with my wife, Connie, about the, the depth of Mark eleven twenty three. you know, speak, the, you'll, you'll have what you say, you know, speak, speak to the mountain. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, it, and it relates to, you know, to, to where, where you are, you know, in your lane as well, which is, you know, God really does want you to put good things into your body. So if you're, if you're, if you're going to drink a bunch of alcohol and smoke cigarettes and, and, and you're going to, uh, you know, eat, eat crazy, awful food, there's, there's, there's no scripture in the Bible that's really going to save you. You know, even, so even the scripture that says, you know, no, no deadly thing will, uh, will, 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 you're protected from any deadly thing. Yeah. Okay. But you're not necessarily protected from stupidity and that it would have been oh, stupid yeah. for me based on where my faith was to just say no to the doctors. Yeah. Same with the Rolls Royce, best car made in the world, but man, you put sugar in the gas tank and don't change the tires and take care of your engine. It's going to break down. You, you can't, say, oh, it's a Rolls yeah. Royce. I don't got to take care of it. You do. Right. Hey, let's shift, let's shift gears and talk music. I know in your book, you share how you had this thriving TV career and decided one day you're going to walk away from it and, and pursue a music career. And, you know, a lot of people treated you like they did Michael Jordan when he quit basketball to pursue a career in baseball. But unlike Jordan, you had global success with your transformation. Did you enjoy the I told you so? <laughs> yeah, I, um, 
Uh, you mean me saying I told you or them yeah, saying Yeah, or you <laughs> saying, see, well, because, I didn't. Because what happened was when I, when I first made the decision to leave television and, and focus uh, full-time on, on, on music and touring, uh, everybody came to the party. It was like, uh, and it, I mean, they, Jay Leno and everybody was just saying, what, what's this guy do, you know, making seven figures at entertainment tonight. Now he's going to play piano, you know? And so there was a, there was a lot of that going on because in America, at least at the time, it's a little different now, but it was stay in your lane. You know, you're a, you're okay. a, um, you're a television actor, you're a movie, you're a film actor, you're a musician or you're a radio host. And, and they, it just wasn't acceptable. And, it, and just, I, I had toured in Australia for a couple of years and they're all about it. You can do whatever you want, <laughs> you know, um, uh, you look at Hugh Jackman, you know, for, you know, for example. So, um, there was some of that and, and you can, in the book, I know you're implying this in the book, I got a little full of myself when I was leaving entertainment tonight, cause I still had, I don't know, eight, eight years to uh, eight months to a year on my contract. Uh, and I just said, Hey, I'm leaving to, to take a 50 city tour. And they sued me and they said, no, we're going to hold you to your contract and had the judge, Diane Wayne, uh, the judge, uh, ruled on that. I, I would have been bankrupt instantly because they would have gone after all of my venues and said, you cannot hold this, this guy's, uh, concert. So when she decided not to rule on that and said, you guys should go, you know, talk between yourselves. Um, we, we worked things out and, and entertainment time was behind me all the way, which was, which was great. But I've, yeah. I, I've made, I've made some headstrong moves that maybe I should have relaxed a little bit. Right. I remember, you know, in the live at Red Rocks concert, I remember it uh, started pouring down rain and the orchestra had to leave and people were starting to walk out and you went back on stage says, no, no, hold on. We're going to keep playing. Is this show must go on attitude really what defines you? Uh, it, it, it has been for years. And I, and I think, you know, going back and just sort of getting a little bit of the story that I've been that I've been hinting at. When I was um, when I was a little kid, if you were to see me, in fact, I've said this on, on, on our radio show several times where if you want to figure out what your purpose in life or what you were meant to, to be, you know, they, a lot of uh, therapists will tell you, you know, find out what you were doing when you were, if you have to call an uncle or whatever, have them describe you when you were 10 years old. And so if you were to describe me when I was 10 or even when I was six, I was in the basement of my house on Long Island. I was making little radio programs. I had an eight millimeter film camera. I was making, right. you know, movies with my pet cat and, and putting on shows for the other kids. When it came time to go to to study uh, in college, like in a, in a music conservatory, which is where I wanted to go. My dad said, no, uh, we, I want you to carry on the family legacy of making underwear because he, he was, was one of the vice right. presidents at, Hain, at Haines. And so he enrolled me at NC State University in the, in the textile chemistry. And I, I, I got through that, you know, maybe about uh, four or five uh, semesters. And then I got bit by the radio TV bug. I had taken one of those courses and because I was told it was an easy A. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. This is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I went to all my professors and got them to sign the drop ad card. But there was one professor who wouldn't sign it because I was apparently past the drop ad time period. And so on advice from a couple of fraternity brothers who had dropped many courses in their lifetime, uh, I, I signed my professor's name to the drop ad card to get out of the course. There was 120 kids in this lecture hall, so I figured he'd never uh-huh. notice. He did, reported me, sent a letter, the university sent a letter to my dad saying that I was being uh, suspended indefinitely from the university and given an F for the course and I had broken the honor code. And my dad, World War II veteran, uh, put uh, logs on that fire and said, you're no longer welcome in this house, you must leave. And oh. so within, I mean, instantly I was, I was in my little Volkswagen, my beat up Volkswagen with a pup tent on the top. And I ended up living in a park in, in North Carolina, you know, while all the other kids are walking past me, my girlfriend broke up with me. 
And so I'm in this tent. It was like Hernan Cortez, you know, Hernan Cortez burning his ships to get his marauders to fight and not, and not mutiny. Um, I was stuck in this tent and I realized the only way to get out was to somehow get a job in radio. And I begged my way into a radio station. And I, I have that fear of being back in that tent still chasing me. <laughs> so it's, yeah, so I, wow. I, remain a, I, re, I remain a very active human being. Yeah, I, l- I love that you talk about purpose. You know, I know someone who's a kindergarten teacher and she makes only 35000 a year but absolutely loves what she does, helping children. That's her, that's her purpose. And, but I, I know a neurosurgeon who makes three-quarters of a million dollars, but he's miserable. He became a doctor because his father was a doctor, so he followed the family trend. And he, he never tapped into his passion-fueled purpose in life. And I think that's what you're trying to get at is, you know, don't wake up every day regretting where you going you know be passionate love what you do and i and, and i think that's that's what you that's what you lead in your music career and everything you did plus you got that darn radio voice listen to your voice man if you weren't on radio uh, you were doing a disservice <laughs> if anyone has a voice well, how, but you. how many you know but 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 how uh, you know how many surgeons do i know and doctors do i know and even lawyers who are in bands you know what i mean because they always wanted yeah. to be in a, a huh yeah you know, the, the subtitle of the Relentless book is, is exactly what you're talking about. It's, you know, unleashing a life of purpose, grit, and faith. And, uh, and when you combine those, those two, I, you know, the, the, the working title of the book was Hard Work, Risk, and Faith. And that, that works as, as well, but faith is a part of all three of those, uh, of those titles. And um, you and I have talked about the power of faith-filled words. But also, you know, Thomas Edison, the great Thomas Edison, one of his favorite quotes that's always ringing in my ears is, um, most people miss an opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. The difference between me and anybody else that I, you know, that I found, you know, during that time period or anybody that I may have stepped ahead of was that I was, and this is a, one of the chapters in the book is called Be Found Ready. And I tell millennials this all the time and Gen Xers, it's, it's like, you must plan right now for the job, for your next job. And, and don't, don't just work on the job you have right now. Because when, when, when they came to me and said, hey, would you be interested in being, you know, being an anchorman at this, you know, in, 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 North, in um, Nashville with Pat Sajak and Oprah Winfrey, I already, you know, knew how to edit film. I knew how to shoot film. I knew how to be a, a correspondent because I had, I, had, I had practiced those things by emulating other people. So you talk about my voice. Okay, I was born with a, with a, a fairly nice voice, but I had to train that voice. And I did that by... I had people shipping me Betamax and VHS tapes of anchors all over the country, and I was pretending to be those guys. So I was really the guy with Mr. Microphone, always trying to trying to you know to take that next step. And again, it was that it was that pup tent chasing me around. I didn't I didn't want to get fired. Wow. Okay. So so now that you say that, can we have a, an exclusive unto your good health radio and really show us what your real voice is? You're gonna be like, okay, I will, David. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's funny. Well, no, you're you're not you're you're not far from wrong because I listen. I grew up on Long Island. And I, I can't even do a Long Island accent anymore because, well, it's like, you know, what, what are you doing? You, you come over here or what? But I wish the way my wife speaks sometimes because I, I spent so many years training it out of me. And then when I went to North Carolina, I worked in, you know, two North Carolina stations, radio and television, and also going to NC State. I had a Southern accent and I tried to get a job in, in, uh, in St. Louis once. And, the, and I remember the guy sent my tape back saying, I'm sorry, 
your accent, your southern accent is too strong. I said, I don't have a southern accent. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm 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 somewhere in the middle there of uh, of all of that madness. That's interesting. Now we had uh, Lisa Gibbons on the show who worked with you at Entertainment Tonight, and she said when the show first started, she didn't think there would be enough entertainment news to talk about a half hour once a week, let alone every day. And it went on to be the most successful daily entertainment television news magazine in the world. What's your fondest memory of, of E.T.? Well, first of all, it was just weird that I ended up there because I had a, you know, most people think that my career started in Entertainment Tonight. But I had, let's see, Raleigh, Durham, Orlando, Nashville, New York, and then Europe. I lived in Europe for six years. So that, that all happened before I got to Entertainment Tonight in 1986, where I was, a, I was an investigative reporter. I was a street reporter. I, you know, I covered fires in New York City. I, I, was, uh, uh, you know, I, was a, I was a radio host. And then I was um, a sportscaster for NBC and, and CBS and also wrote music right. for them. And somebody at Paramount Television that was producing Entertainment Tonight found an old tape of mine. They must have had a headhunter or something uh, anchoring the news. And Pat Sajak was doing the weather in Nashville. And I got a call. Would you like to come audition for Entertainment Tonight? And I, I, I did not know what that was. You know, uh, and so it would, I, I, I showed up on like a Thursday in cut off jeans and, and, you know, an, an old t-shirt and there was Mary Hart and all her Mary Hart regalia back in 1986. And, uh, I read the teleprompter and they said, okay, why don't you come to Hollywood and you quit your job at sports, come to Hollywood and, and you can also use our recording studios. And, and that's how, <laughs> that's how that happened. And so I went from nobody knowing who I was because you're not, you're not your face really is not on camera when you're doing right. Olympic gymnast, gymnastics to um, 23 million people a night seeing me. So, I, so all of a sudden, I could walk into a restaurant and get a table. And I said, this is, this is amazing. So that's, that was my most exciting thing about being on Entertainment Tonight, for sure. That's great. I saw recently you did a reunion with Mary Hart. And uh, how did it feel almost 25 years later being back together? Was it like time stood still or did it feel a little awkward? It wasn't awkward at all. And it, it truly was time stood still because I, had, I hadn't actually seen Mary in 24 years. And we, we had talked you know, on the phone and... And we had, uh, you know, sent each other messages by, you know, by text, but I, had, I hadn't been, I hadn't been in her presence for 24 years. And so they put us together and it, it, what was happening was they, you know, our publicist called to entertainment tonight and said, Hey, you know, John like to know if you would like to do 30 seconds on the relentless book. And they said, well, let us call you back. And they called back two days later and said, well, Mary has read the book and she'd like to come interview John. And, and I said, well, that's, that's amazing. And then they called back and said, we'd like for you to take over the show for a couple of days. And I'm thinking, what oh, the heck? And so we were there with all the youngins, you know, and um, they're standing there 67 years old, you know, literally, you know, 30 some years later, 33 wow. years later. And um, then when I started the show and it was just like we never left, though, you know, I, I knew her cadence. She knew mine. And there's a great story in the book about about how that all happened. That's great. Tell us about your syndicated radio show, Intelligence for Your Life. I know in your book you refer to it as the home improvement for your brain. I love that. How did it come about? Well, it was really inspired by people like you, um, you know, who, who uh, know how to take um, complicated uh, principles and, mm -hmm. and curate them, right? Um, right. The, the show was really started, uh, and she didn't even know she was doing this, but the show was really started by my wife, Connie, because she was complaining about my side of the bed one night uh, as we were uh, retiring for the evening and my, my side of the bed, just so you know, looks like a, uh, it still does like a radio shack vomited on the side of the bed. It's just all <laughs> kinds of wires and connectors and, and stuff that shouldn't be in a bedroom. Uh -huh. So I was complaining about her side of the bed and, uh, just to cross complain to get, uh, get parody. 
and it was stacks of magazines and little sticky notes in the magazines. I said, what's all this? And she said, well, these are all the articles that I want to get to, but I just haven't had time and I've marked them with the sticky notes. And, the, and this is 20 years ago and the, 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 the light bulb went off in my head. I said, let's do a show for this woman. Let's curate you know, all the latest information. The problem was the internet was in its nascency and so there was a lot of bad information out there. So we partnered up with, you know, with, with Harvard Medical School and with, uh, with the Cleveland Clinic Mayo Clinic and all you know all these other high-end institutions and authors and you know, like you and and uh, and we got good information there and then we would take you know we would take a chapter of your book for example and we turn it into 230 words or we'd have we'd interview you and 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 turn those into a minute 30 um, sound bites mm-hmm. and so it caught on because people they didn't have nobody had time to curate all that stuff just like my wife so the sticky note uh, the sticky notes became the sticky note radio show and we called it Intelligence for Your Life. I love that the sticky note show. <laughs> we should have we should have called it that. It would have been easier to remember, right? It would have been easier to remember because it's so cool. I've got them. I'm looking at twelve, what, yeah, thirteen sticky notes on my computer. I still use them. I love them. All these kids use the computer. I love sticky notes. I still use them. They they're effective for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah and, that, and that and that yellow sticky note just says, "Hey, look at me right now." You know. Exactly. Yeah. Now, in the minute we have left, there's anything else you'd like to share about relentless or tips on using purpose, grit, and faith? No, I mean, I, it's just it, it's an honor to, to to talk to you and to get a chance to uh, you know. To, I think we're sort of equally yoked when it comes to the to the you know the, the power of uh, well, you know, I'll t- I'll tell you, uh, for my my whole life I've had faith in God, but one of the things I, I I learned when I when I wrote this book, and also when I went through the training of of what what's known as divine healing, which is you know using scriptures to help you get healed. I realized that faith isn't enough, that you also have to have a lack of unbelief. Because if you've got un- if unbelief is one pickup truck and, and faith mm-hmm. is the other and they're hitched to each other and when they're pulling in opposite directions, you know, meaning that when, when you, you have faith in God and you know, okay, God's going to take care of me. But, and then if, you have, if unbelief comes in at two o'clock in the morning and you, and you start talking about how cancer cells may be multiplying in your body, it just it, it just destroys your, your your faith. So I've really learned in you know in in the book of I think it's Romans twenty four learned to uh, uh, you learn to renew my renew my mind and to keep doubt and unbelief out. And and I think that's a real key to to getting well and staying well. Well said. I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today. I love the book. I commend you for sharing your story on beating the odds and, of course, giving God the glory. The book is called Relentless. It's available everywhere books are sold, and you can also go to teshmusic.com and be sure and check out his music and video library. You can follow John on Facebook and Twitter at John Tesh. And for my daily tweets and posts, follow me at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard John share something inspirational today that somebody you know needs to hear, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to yourgoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com. And check out our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, and coworkers on social media. Let's get this word out. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well. This episode of To Your Good Health Radio was brought to you by Cardio Miracle, the ultimate nitric oxide booster with over 50 whole food heart healthy nutrients. If you want to improve your heart health, increase your energy, mental clarity, and boost your immune system, order Cardio Miracle today at CardioMiracle.com. Use promo code CardioNow for 20% off. CardioMiracle.com, promo code CardioNow.